Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Let's be honest. I know history types keep saying that like the year 536 was way worse than 2020, but I do not care. 2020 was unadulterated trash by almost every single metric available. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck. In the cyber world, it was also a year that helped advance insidious surveillance tools, the proliferation of disinformation, and more Russian hackers. Jason Kebler, Motherboard EIC, is on the show for the last time in 2020. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. Well, Jason, it's been a, I mean, it's been a year in cyber. I would not say that it was, this year was as defined by the Russian hack of the DNC as something like maybe 2016, but at the same time, it's also been a crazy year for some pretty big hacks and some pretty wild conversations around surveillance. Are you saying you want to, are you saying you want to recap the worst year ever? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like in a, in a <laughs> that's what I'm saying is like, this is the worst year ever. I know somebody said it's like 479 or something instead, but fuck that. I, who knows about 479? Um, yeah, I wasn't alive then. So. Yeah, I wasn't alive then. It sounded pretty bad, but like yeah. also you could die of like a, like a cough. I guess you could die of cough now. I was going to say you could die of like a toothache back then. So uh, anyway, it's, it's been the worst year ever. I mean, we all agree it has been. But I wouldn't say it's been the worst year ever because of cyber, but it's been a really bad year for cyber too. So at the same time, uh, you know. Yeah. Can I, can I start off with just like an email that I sent uh, January 2nd, I believe. And I'm repeating this from memory. I just looked it up the other day. Hit me. I don't know if you remember, but... Uh, in the one of the very first days of the year, the United States assassinated yes. an Iranian general. I do remember. Yes, I figured you'd remember, but like that <laughs> I was did this some year. stories on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was this year. It was like <laughs> January first or second. Yeah, uh, and I wrote a story about it, and I sent an email to uh, Peter Singer, who is uh, who's been on this podcast before, but is just like a you know like military tech futurist type person. And I was like, wow, like crazy year, huh? Like this is really nuts. And he was like, yeah, it's like pretty crazy, but like, I, I don't know. I think we're in for something. And I was just like, okay. What do you mean? Cause he was saying, good. was he, was he alluding to the virus? No, no, no. But he was just like, he was like, this is really crazy, but hold my beer. It's not the craziest thing that I've ever seen. Well, this is the thing. Um, so like on that point, I actually remember turning to, to a friend after the Suleimani assassination and saying, wow, it's crazy that the craziest news story of 2020 happened on January 3rd. I'm like, I mean, it's wild that the craziest thing has already happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, here's the actual email. I pulled it up. I was like, Hey Peter, hope you had a nice holiday. Seems like we're off to an interesting start to 2020. I'm going to work on an article about last night's drone strike. Obviously, this is a major, major escalation, blah, blah, blah. Like, is this crazy, essentially? And he was like, sorry, no, it's like not that crazy. This is basically the same as if it were, uh, you know, done with an F-15 or uh, or something else. Um, so basically, my article is like, is there a difference because there this was done with the drone versus a manned 
yeah. aircraft. And he was like, no, it's not that crazy. Uh, so he wasn't like, hey, this year is going to be nuts. But he was like, the premise of your article is wrong, uh, which is always an interesting email to get back. But I was just like, I just remembered that the other day and I went and looked and I was just like, oh, yeah, like pretty interesting start to this year. <laughs> full of wonder. What could happen? Yep. I mean, I'm pretty sure they got him with a, with a sword bomb. So sword bombing your one of your mortal enemies, top generals to start the year off is it's quite the it's actually, you know what? That's 2020 energy. Yeah. And uh, and we ended the year. I mean, this happened recently and I still don't know what happened here. And we didn't plan to talk about this. So sorry, everyone. But um, they had. Was it a doctor who was killed? Yeah. With a robot? No, it was a it was a, it was a, a, a nuclear a nuclear uh, research had a nuclear program. Yeah, head of the nuclear program in Iran, uh, apparently destroyed, killed with a robot in Tehran. Yep. So uh, very good book. And it was like it was like a robot, like machine gun too, like or something. Yeah, that's what state media is reporting. But like, I don't know if I believe that. But in any case, happy cyber, happy 2020. Yeah, this fucking year is over. Let's let's talk about it. Yeah, I can't wait for the new year to start with the mutant version of COVID nineteen. Um, so okay, let's well let's go straight to the let's go straight to the asshole in the room, um, which is strangely neither of us. It's it's COVID nineteen. <laughs> um, uh, so I I remember when this came, when this first started. Obviously, there's a lot of qu- questions around how you stop it and and what what role can apps play? Because clearly everything nowadays, as soon as there's a problem, we still haven't learned the lesson that Silicon Valley doesn't solve all of our issues. That we should create contact tracing apps to sort of slowly tell us all if we ever come into contact with someone, we can immediately go get get tested, et cetera. The tech giants have announced plans to add software that would enable contact tracing in their devices, making it possible for government agencies to track the distance between phones using approved apps. But the idea, as you can imagine, is raising concerns over privacy. I remember having a conversation with you, Jason, where we were both like, we hate surveillance and we've been on the record reporting about surveillance for years, like years now, Jason. And we yes. were both like, fuck it, man, if it works, <laughs> let's do it. But I think the funny thing about contact tracing is that, or in that way with, with, with an app, is that it turns out it's probably not that effective. Yeah. So, I mean, looking back, uh, we basically got the bad things with none of the good things um, in terms of this year was a huge year for location data and data brokers and people who claimed to have some sort of solution, but maybe did not. Um, We saw this both with like COVID stuff, as well as some of the reporting that Joseph Cox on our team did about apps that are surreptitiously taking your data and selling them to data brokers some of whom then are like, wow, we're measuring COVID outbreaks, but also are selling data to the U.S. military uh, Mm -hmm. about Muslim prayer apps. You know, it's like, it's the same data stream and it's the same, like we have to be uh, vigilant about this stuff because it's the same data stream. It's the same data. It's the same data brokers. And the people who talk out of one side of their mouth saying that they are monitoring this for public health reasons are selling it to advertisers and defense contractors out of the other side of their mouth. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is like 
when we look back, there's going to be 2020 is going to have changed a lot of shit, I think, in the yes. long term. And I think one of them was like the normalization of some of this surveillance. And I don't even know if it feels like we're being surveilled, but we are. And there's a huge market for it. There's a bunch of different companies doing it. And they say that they're doing it for social good. I yeah. think. But I mean, this is this is going back to that point, though. It's like, I think this has been, you know, they always say that governments strike in crisis to advance their powers. And I think this is one of those scenarios that at least governments have. But I also think corporations have in, in, in the present that we find ourselves in, where we're in this crisis. And even people like you and I, who are, you know, incredibly skeptical of surveillance technologies and and of and scrutinizing of cybersecurity technologies would say, because it's gotten this bad and the crisis is so severe that you'd say, you know what, like, fuck it, I'll accept certain amounts of whatever so I can just, you know, finally go to, to a bar and drink a beer and breathe on my friend, you know? So right. I, and, and that's but the thing. Th that's the thing also is like, that was the promise, but none of that happened and none <laughs> of that happened. This is like a cybersecurity podcast. We don't need to get deep into like COVID public health response and stuff like this, but it's like, the United States didn't do any of the things that would have been required for contact tracing to have been <laughs> successful in any way. And it's like, to be fair, like Europe didn't really do it either. Like contact tracing in Europe is not much better than contact tracing in the United States, as I understand it. <laughs> but like, there's basically like no contact tracing in the US to speak of in the way that it was promised, which is you know, you get exposed to someone with COVID, someone calls you, they ask you who else you talk to, they talk to like those people, like maybe they use an app to track um, like who your phone was nearby using Bluetooth, like there was this Apple and Google yeah. cooperation where it was like there, there's going to be a privacy protecting like mechanism for all this. And it's like, but that's my state point. and like, local what happened? governments. What happened yeah, stuff? Like, like state and local governments didn't implement it for one. For two, like people didn't, they were just incredibly reckless in terms of like not wearing masks, continuing about their daily lives. So like the numbers were so high that it was impossible to track. And then you have places like, I mean, Singapore did contact tracing via app and it was apparently quite effective, but like Singapore is also much more of a surveillance state than a lot of other places. Yeah. And I mean, you can die for like, like, you can get killed for like spitting on the sidewalk there, or at least you could at one point or something insane like that. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, uh, it's like we didn't do that stuff, but we still got the surveillance aspect of this, even if you didn't see it happening, exactly. which is to say like, you probably had no interaction with a contact tracing app, but that data was still being collected through a lot of your other apps there's like this the one of the heroes of this uh of this pandemic is this company called Kinsa which makes smart thermometers which was able to predict covid outbreaks before they happened like in the early days and like the new york times used like used their data for a bunch of stories and it's like i don't know what kinsa is doing on the back end i don't know if they're selling that data they pro they seem like they're not like they seem they seem like a legit company that's like, we just want to make money off of our smart thermometers and like maybe sell data in aggregate to, 
you know, governments or newspapers or something. But at the same time, it's like there's nothing stopping Kinsa from selling that data to advertisers or to like do more nefarious things. And so you have all of these players who like showed up magically in March or April being like, oh, we're going to do like contact tracing. We're going to like collect data. We're going to do all this stuff. And like a lot of those people were just already surveillance companies that were doing bad things. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to tell apart like the, the ones who, you know, take data privacy seriously and the ones who are just like making a shitload of money and selling you out. Exactly. And like, I think, you know, that's why the reporting that Joseph does is so important because it really does reveal this completely shady side of just, just the sheer amounts of data. I remember the, 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 the Quran app story that he did that, that the U S army was buying this location data from a Quran app. It like, it was millions of people, millions of people globally. Right. And it was like some random app that was through some subsidiary. And I'm, I'm butchering this, but that, I think the, the, the gist of it is there is that it was like you, there, he was buy, the, the U.S. Army was buying mass amounts of location data from like a third party. And it was just like, where did this come from? Like how, how who is the company? And I think that's right. the thing is that with this contact tracing stuff, it's just, I think to myself, what's going on in the, on my iOS? Like what, what, what backend stuff was built into it to make contact tracing easier to, to, to track. And, and where does that go now that, you know, we're on the way to a vaccine. And also, like you said, we've never really engaged in contact tracing to begin with. But anyway. Yeah, I guess the, the last thing on coronavirus, like tech, I guess, uh, is, there were a lot of grifters um, and it's unclear. I mean, it's really unclear who's grifting, who's like providing a good service, who is providing a good service, but charging a lot of money. And there's been like a lot of mystery companies that have appeared during COVID. And like, I'm in LA right now, there's this company called Curative and like they're doing the tests for basically the entire city of LA. And like this company did not exist in March. Like this company, like total startup situation. It's got like a 25 year old founder who uh, is now basically doing the testing for the largest, the most populous county in the country. And they're doing, you know, hundreds of thousands of tests a week. And it's just like, they're charging for each test. I mean, the tests are free for the people, but obviously someone is paying for them and it's like the city is paying for them. And curative by all, like, I mean, it seems like a, like they are doing coronavirus testing. They are, it seems like it's easier to get a test in LA than it is in a lot of other places in the country. But at the same time, it's like this company like appeared overnight and I don't know what they're doing with the data it's probably probably nothing i don't know legally if they can it's just like it's so hard to know and it's so hard to uh it's just like you can read their privacy policy and stuff like that but it, it's it's very difficult to know like kind of what they're using your data for like they collect your um you know, they collect your email address, they collect your phone number, they collect your physical address, they collect your health insurance information. And like, presumably HIPAA protects a lot of this stuff. But at the same time, this is like a startup that is 
doing startupy things. And so it's just like, I don't know. It, it's, there's a lot of this going on right now. And a lot of this happened this year. And it's just like very, it's impossible to keep up on all of it, I guess, is what I'm saying. It's also just like, how many times are we going to keep making this error where some startup comes up, we give them all our information, they sell it off to someone else. It's just like, it's the tail, it's the tail's oldest time. Right. Now, uh, the, the next one, go ahead. Pivot time. Shall pivot we pivot? time, yeah. Pivot time. The next one that I think just as a general concept has been kind of insane in terms of the election, but I don't think it's just the election. I think COVID-19 has a lot to do with this. I think uh, fears around Antifa have a lot, has a lot to do with this. I think it's just basically this has been the year of disinformation. This is the year that disinformation also broke America, I think, in a much more pronounced way than something like 2016 and the election. I think disinformation was the year. As the 2020 campaign heats up, candidates are facing an historic challenge, an unprecedented scale and variety of disinformation online. I think that disinformation is a catch-all term for a lot of different things. And I think that like in 2016, the big thing was fake news and fake news as a term didn't really like, as I remember it, it wasn't widely used until immediately after the election where, uh, you know, the Democrats were like fake news caused us to lose this election because Facebook didn't uh, catch it. Well, I think, and I think to be honest with you, it was really, it was first Trump because he would say that when it was a bad story during the election. No, campaign. dude. He said that after, after really like, this is the thing. It's like everyone, I mean, cause I remember this very, um, very clearly because I was like, yeah, like fake news. That's a good thing to call all of this, like weird disinformation coming from, uh, like Cyprus on Facebook and like various troll farms and stuff like that. And then it took like maybe 36 hours for Trump to then be like, yeah, fake news. Like New York Times is fake news. CNN is fake news. Washington Post is fake news. And like it was immediately co-opted and then used by like, you know, the right and conspiracy theory theorists. And like ultimately the term fake news like doesn't really mean anything anymore. Um, no. Well, then, I mean, I, I think that was like 2016, where it's like a very concerted thing. Like fake news was like Russian troll farms, Cyprus weird startups, and like grifters who were like, what, like had websites that literally made up shit that was designed to spread on Facebook. And it's like, it's gotten so much more sophisticated since then. And we didn't, it turns out we didn't need Russia all along. Like we didn't need Russia trolling us. We had like the people in the United States who were willing to uh, just make shit up and live in their own bubbles all along. And like, then you have QAnon and one American news network and Fox news, like Tucker Carlson type stuff. And you have like all these shades. And then you also have like these Facebook groups that are not really talking about news per se like they don't have um they don't have like the pope endorsed trump which was a big thing that happened in 2016 like a big fake news story in 2016 like now it's just people like whipping themselves into a fever pitch with memes and shit 
I mean, it's that. And also I think like, I think it's, it's the proliferation of online chatter and unverified facts just completely being quoted as, as biblical passages. It's insane. You know, like you look at something like the rise of QAnon and, and how it's even survived the, the many times that Q has never revealed themselves or, you know, any of the litany of stupid things that they said would happen happens. And yet it still persists and exists even after Trump loses the election. It, I mean, it just sort of shows you just how entrenched the, the system of disinformation is in the United States. Like it's the culture itself no longer trusts almost anything. Right. And like, I think that it's easy to blame social media and say like mm-hmm. Facebook and Twitter and whatever are responsible for this. At the same time, like it's Facebook and Twitter's fucking fault. Like in many, many ways, because they didn't stop this at the, at the outset. The algorithms make every single person live in a completely different world. Like, yeah, and I think but, are not exposed to things that challenge their beliefs. And conspiracy theorists are shown conspiracy theories and non-conspiracy theorists are shown like regular news. And so it, it looks to the people who are like... These these bubbles do not overlap in any way. And so no one is forced to like interact with each other. When they are forced to interact with each other, everyone's beliefs are so strong that there is like no possible like it is impossible to agree. And then you have I think something that you had this year that you had a little bit of in 2016, but it's been like perfected this year is like you had the top down stuff as well, where you have Trump who's been lying for four years. You have like all of these QAnon people who are running for Congress and like winning seats in many cases who are like ultimately like validating the like either made up stuff or wildly misleading stuff at their campaign rallies and like on their social media. And then you have social media companies who are like, they're afraid to moderate Republicans, which has been, a thing for a long time and it's that that has that for me is like uh that's the big takeaway from this year i think is like the disinformation is everywhere and it's coming from from like the top from the bottom from the side from other countries from inside the country like and so it's impossible to like everyone has their own version of the truth and it's impossible to figure out what's going on anywhere yeah, and I also think, you know, to to also blame, I think, the U.S. government in many ways is that, you know, you had a situation like the Iraq War where it was revealed to be totally lying to the public about the the, the reasons for going to war. And I think you look at something like that and it's just, it just starts there and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think the public trust in, in government facts is completely eroded as well. And you look at something like, you know, like the Jeffrey Epstein cover up and the conspiracy around him it was a real conspiracy and it's a real like it was a really fucked up crazy pedophile ring and then you look at all these things you put them together and then people start you know making bullshit up and it gets worse and worse but at the core of the issue is that there really is this like there's a real corruption going on in america and it's been seized upon and now it's just like it's completely and utterly out of control yeah i think that uh I think Democrats haven't handled this well. Like Republicans haven't handled this well. Like news 
organizations haven't handled it super well, although they've gotten a little bit better. And like, ultimately it's just like, it's just a big mess. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know where we go from here. It's not great. I think it is good that Biden won the election because I think it would have been much harder to uh, come back from like a, a second Trump presidency where the government is lying all the time. But at the same time, like the Democrats don't have a super great track record either. And mm -hmm. so, uh, so I don't know. It's, it's just like, that's something that we'll need to look at going into 2021. And anyone who tells you that uh, we're completely doomed is probably wrong. And anyone who says that like Biden, Biden is getting the elected is the savior is <laughs> yeah. going to fix things is definitely wrong because you uh, won't go to anywhere uh, that is not a big city. And you will see that there are still gigantic, gigantic pockets of people who believe that Trump won the election. And I don't know what comes of that. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. All right, so here's one that's the final big one, I think, that I can't believe we're still talking about it, but guess what? They just keep, they're like Drake. Russian hackers, Jason, they're like Drake. They just keep making hits. <laughs> I'm very curious what you think of this. Like, I, I don't, so we're talking about the solar winds hack, which was a very late-breaking thing in 2020 to, uh, to give us something to talk about on this podcast, yeah, it's not great. And I, I think the, the only way for people to really think about it is that this attack is still ongoing. It's not over. I think we're conditioned to think of hacks as data breaches where someone breaks in, everyone's personal data gets exposed, we all change our passwords and we move on. In this case, it is much more serious. The attackers are still inside of these systems. People are still trying to figure out exactly what systems were targeted, what companies, what organizations, which parts of the government were targeted, uh, and what uh, offensive capabilities remain inside of these systems, even though we now know the hack has happened. I am having trouble deciding what to make of the SolarWinds hack, because to me, this seems like espionage in a way that yeah. we are doing espionage to everyone else and like they are doing espionage to us. And like, yes. ideally you would want our, you know, systems to be, more robust so that we don't get, uh, you know, hacked by the Russians and lose all of our shit. But at the same time, like Russia having a bunch of information about U.S. government operations to me, like is not going to change the day to day lives of a lot of people. But maybe I'm wrong. So so tell me, is this a big deal? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely a big deal in that it's an L for the U.S. government. I mean, like, this is not good. It's not good that the Russian, you know, intelligence agencies can can do this and have, have access to this information. I mean, 
there's a couple things going on here. I, I think for one, like the US government and the NSA does this to Russia and is trying to do the same things. Because there's the whole concept of, you know, does in a time of peace, the NSA and say the SVR or the GRU in Russia are trying to get access to critical infrastructure, trying to get access to critical intelligence that if there ever were hypothetical where they went to war with the US or vice versa with Russia, you'd have your finger on the proverbial keyboard to pull the trigger that you could then enact certain attacks on 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 different aspects of the US government infrastructure that would help you in a, in a state of war. Now, is that what Russia was doing right now? Probably, but it was a peace it's almost a peacetime operation. You're doing it to get the information. More information is the better. The thing is they got caught. I mean, like there's no doubt about it. They got caught and it doesn't look good for for the US. Now, I think Lorenzo's actually been sounding off on this on Twitter and he's like, he's right. You know, uh is this warfare? Like, I, okay, look, if they had actually used that information and taken out the power grid, yes, active war. They didn't. And, and this is also something that we, we've always known that Russia's trying to do. We just didn't know they were, we didn't know specifically what it was, right? So it's like, I, I'm, I'm not actually shocked they were doing it. I actually would suspect that people in US intelligence, are, they're probably not shocked that, it happened. They're probably shocked that they they had to find it and it doesn't look good and it's not good for them. And they're going to have to do a retrospective and they're going to have to change systems. It's the other thing people don't realize is like they found this and now they have to correct it, which means they've got to go out and they've got to make sure that their systems are airtight now. They probably have to burn entire projects because of it. So I, like it's not good. It's not war. Like I think that's the ridiculous thing. This is not war. Right. This is like, this is not my expertise. I think motherboard, uh, at least what, like you have sources, uh, you know, in the government, you have sources in DC and in the intelligence community and like, so do Joseph and Lorenzo, but (laughs) we are much better sourced in like private hacking companies, uh, among like the criminal underground mm-hmm. hacks that affect consumers in a lot of different ways. And like a lot of the information about solar winds has been coming out via like New York times leaks that are associated with, uh, like intelligence officials and department of energy officials and stuff like this. And this is like a legitimate question. I think everything that you said makes sense to me and is definitely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it's like, I don't know what Russia stole in this in this hack. Like, it seems like they gained access to a lot of different departments of uh, of the United States government. They gained access to the National Nuclear Security Administration, which is you know objectively a bad thing. They gained access to the Department of Energy, the Treasury, like commerce, like stuff like this. But it's <laughs> like, is it a big deal? Yes. It, it is a big deal in what you're saying, but like. If the Russian government has a bunch of like Treasury Department documents about like companies in the United States, if they have, uh, you know, Department of Energy, like uh, blueprints for various projects or learn that there's like a water leak at a Department of Energy facility in Wisconsin, like, because there's like, there's bound to be a bunch of like mundane shit in a lot of this, but of course there's also going to be like a lot of, of stuff that is more valuable. I'm just saying like, 
does it affect the day-to-day operations of the United States government? And is it a big deal, like, if Russia has, let's say, you know, a bunch of corporate filings with the Department of Treasury, like, is it going to affect, is is it a big deal? Like, is it going to yeah, hurt companies? I, it is it going to hurt, like, it, it, it normal will. people, you think? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, just we don't, don't see it, man. It's like, we don't, China has been stealing, I, I'm going to let you talk in, like, one second. I'm sorry, yeah. I'm, like, talking over you, but it's like, China's been stealing our IP for like decades and decades from like big companies. It's like, it has helped China become like a massive player on the international stage. It's probably to some level like helped China's military. It's probably to some level like helped them undercut a bunch of companies by like making counterfeit versions of things. But like ultimately capitalism is like a gigantic beast and these companies are like really fucking strong and like the US government despite it all is still pretty strong and it's like anything that makes any adversary stronger is not a good thing but at the same time it's like hard to even if the hack is of such big proportions that it's difficult to say like okay that was like solar winds like Two years from now, three years from now, four well, let's, years from but now. But let's, but let's, like, here's the thing: is I think when you get a hack like this, and I, I and like, not to speak for the people in the IC that I've spoken to, but it, I think it's, it. This was death by a thousand cuts hack, all in like one day, where you saw it, and you're like, that's death by a thousand cuts in one day, where you know that there's there's so much information there that you can bleed people on, and get access to other things too, right? Like, I'll give you an example. I remember. I, did, I broke a story in, in like 2015 about how Iranian hackers had hacked into this really like ridiculously obscure Canadian healthcare system uh, that was with to do with Health Canada, I believe. And people were like, "Well, why the why the fuck would they hack that?" And you're like, "Well, they were hacking it so they could get access to other to other uh, databases and infrastructure that would allow them access to things that were more important." And I think that's the thing you have to think of when you think of sort of nation state hacking like this. It's like, this was a supply chain hack, if I remember correctly. And it was getting access to things that you could, and then it was going from there. And I think these are the types of things that nation states will do because they got time to deploy, you know, hackers nine to five that just can slowly figure out more and more and more and more and more. And to get back to your point, like China's theft of, of, of IP that fueled their economy you're right. Like a lot of the businesses were able to recover because they're these giant beasts and capitalism is a giant beast. But you know what it also did? It destroyed jobs. And there's no doubt about it that they, it destroyed American jobs. You know, you had something, it was so widespread to the point that, you know, Benjamin Moore had its, had its paint recipes stolen. And this is the thing. It's like you, you keep doing that and then you're going to get into a lot of trouble. But I think in the st- when it comes to Russia, they have less success in taking technologies and turning them out for themselves and more success going into government systems and being a nuisance for American government that you have to negotiate with them. You have to go to the table with them. They continue to be in the G7. They continue to have geopolitical standing. And this is the kind of stuff that Russia is known for. So, I mean, look, like you're right, like in the immediate term, you're not going to see day to day how it affects the average American, but it's going to affect the average American. Do you see what I'm saying? Like this is this is a type of thing where it's so wide ranging. It's just it's a it's a net loss for America. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that's and that's what it comes down to. And I think, you know, the other thing, too, that this really showed is that you're right. The U.S. government continues to be strong, but the U.S. government is bleeding. And everyone's kind of like circling the the 
the, the bleeding animal, <laughs> you know? And it's, it, this is like, this is some true empire and decline shit where it's chief adversaries are able to get them. And like the U S government got, got, you know, and that's, it shows that even, even, even it is, is vulnerable to, to attack. Right. And especially in this new, I, I wouldn't even call it new anymore. This like well-established horizon or well-established, uh, well-established platform. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. I think that that's what it is. I mean, it's, we'll see what happens with the fall it is when Biden comes into power. Cause I think, you know, he's going to take a much stronger stance on Russia and I don't know if that's necessarily going to be good. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, this is something to keep an eye on in 2021 and beyond, because as you said, like a lot of the effects will linger. Uh, it's like for, OPM. For probably a while. Yeah. Do you remember the OPM hack? I do. And then, but I, I, at the same time, I struggle to like, the OPM hack was a shitty thing for the people who were, who had their fingerprints and their, uh, and their social security numbers taken. It's a very bad thing. It's not a good thing. But at the same time, I don't, I'm not like, oh fuck, like the OPM hack that really like ruined my day today. Well, here's the thing. Whereas here's at the same time, like the Sony hack, like there were, I mean, I don't work for Sony, but there were like kind of, it, it was like, oh, like Sony like killed movies because like shit happened and like people got fired and like all of this stuff happened that, that, and it's just because it's a more consumer facing company, I guess, like that we like interact with on a day-to-day -day basis. Whereas like the average person doesn't interact with the office of personnel management. Well, here, I'll give you an example why OPM was more, I remember speaking to people uh, in government at the time, why it was more, it was much scarier than just the, the, the social security numbers and uh, the passwords, et cetera. There was like over a million, I think it was like over a million people if I remember correctly, but the Office of Personnel Management, which is sort of the clearinghouse of the US government. The bigger thing was they had people who had top secret clearance who were involved with that among, among those millions of people. And in it, they had questions which you have to answer to get top secret uh, clearance, which is to list the things that make you vulnerable to an, a hostile nation state to exploit for secrets. Yeah. So China had this like complete, when they got it, they got this complete playbook on how to like go after people and exploit them for the information they have because it's literally the stuff you have to put down. So right. stuff like that, like you don't know who's going to get targeted or when, but China is very clearly has been doing that for years. So this is the type of thing. I mean, this is espionage. Again, this is, goes back to, it's just classic espionage. I remember t talking to Michael Hayden once and he even said after the DNC hack and he said like, you know, hats off to the Russians because that's like one of the most impressive influence campaigns ever. And I think that that's probably the perspective of some people in intelligence. It's that, you know, kind of got us, like we got to do better, but yeah, you know, they did it. That's what they do. And that's what we do. Yeah. I think that's a good place to leave it. No. Yep. 2021, whatever fresh hell you have for us, uh, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you. Uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next year. We made it through this year. If you're listening to this, we basically made it. I think you have <laughs> another like 48 hours to go or something. But yeah, um, whatever it is, <laughs> we have hours, whatever. We have conceivable hours left. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you everyone who has listened to Cyber this year. Um, thank you, Ben, for hosting Cyber this year. Thank you, Kato, for editing Cyber and producing Cyber. Uh, thank you, Lorenzo, thank you. for being a pain in the ass. 
Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right, I'm out. You I'm can out. keep talking, Ben, if you want. If you want to have a yeah. combo with yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.